Well, we begin our teaching today. It's the book of Jude. I've pastored for 30 years and never taught in the book of Jude. Just kind of uh, some of you are going, is there a book of Jude? It's, it's right before Revelation. And some of you are going, book of Jude, book of Jude. Let's see, like, take a sad song, make it better. That's like Jude 1-1, right? Well, uh, that's the Beatles song from 1968. And it's, that's the number one of all the number one hits that the Beatles have ever put out. Uh, immediately, it sold 8 million copies. And if you look at their list, it is the number one of all the number one songs. It makes the top list of the greatest songs ever. And, and there's this like, well, that, does that have any help? It actually, honestly, what the Beatles did with that song, let me just tell you how that song came to be. In a really tender moment, Paul McCartney went over to John Lennon's home because John and his wife were divorcing. And they had a five-year-old son named Julian. And Paul sang to Julian, Hey, Jules, you can take a sad song and make it better. In this really confusing time, let me tell you that there's going to be hope for your life. And I believe what the book of Jude has to say to us is in this really confusing time, you have hope. Um, just as an aside, too, uh, they, they then collaborated on that, and it came out to the Hey Jude that you would know about. Uh, and that ballad is so tender throughout such portions. And then at the end, you're thinking, but then he, McCartney's screaming his lungs out, hey, Judy, Judy, Judy. You know, at the end, that when they recorded it, it was one take because after he did it, his voice was shot. That was, that was like, that, that'll do. Um, so the book of Jude is similar. The book of Jude is similar to how we receive it and what we do with it. There's times that what we do with this, it needs to be this sweet, tender ballad that we declare in moments. And then there's times with all kinds of raucous enthusiasm that we declare the wonders and the glories of God that the book of Jude has for us as well. So here's how it begins. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Who is Jude? Well, he's a servant of Jesus. He's a brother of James. If you see a reference to James in the New Testament writings, it's going to be a reference to the individual who wrote the book of James, who was the leader of the early church in Jerusalem, and that James was the brother of Jesus. We see the list of the brothers of Jesus, that they are James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. So it's probably that Judas individual, who's thus in the list is probably the youngest one. And there could be a sense of, ah, you know, Judas kind of has a bad taste in her mouth that, that because of the betrayer. Just, just call me Jude for now. You can call me Judas, but, but it's okay. You can just call me Jude. Uh, so he is the brother or the half-brother of Jesus. Here's a, here's a little, here's just a little snippet out of 1 Corinthians. This is interesting. Uh, the writer says, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? They're talking about family mission trips right now, mission journeys. Uh, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers. And Peter. So it looks like the brothers of Jesus, who at one point in time decided that Jesus was so cuckoo for coconuts, saying that he was the very son of God, that they wanted to come take charge of him. And in that moment, Jesus would say, well, really, who are my brothers and who is my family? I declare that it's those of you who do the will of God, that, that you are my brothers and that you are my family, and we're connected in, in God that way. And so these brothers who did not put their faith and trust 
in Jesus until after the resurrection took place. Jude is in that number. And he, it is so beautiful then that he would spend seasons of life traveling with his family from one city to the next to share the story of God, to make sure that people Ah, would be able to capture what God had for their lives. It goes on to say, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father, and kept in Jesus Christ. Jude has this really interesting habit to make thoughtful moments occur three times in a row. It's, it's, it's like, so it's written to those, it's written to, it's written to the children of God, but these are people who are called, you're called. Loved, you're loved, and kept, you're kept. So, so receive who God says that you are, that you are called individuals, that you are loved individuals, that you are kept individuals, and receive then, it says, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. So may the mercy of God, may the peace of God, may the love of God be yours in abundance. You're to receive who you are and what you are to experience in this capacity, child of God. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to, this is the key, this is the key term right here, to contend for the faith. I want you to contend for the faith. I'm not a deep Greek scholar, but since the age of 19, I know the word for faith in, uh, in Greek in the New Testament. It is spelled P-I-S-T-I-S. Yes, it is. So on the count of three, you pronounce that pistis. It means faith. So we're going to say faith in Greek in church together, okay? We're going to sink this in. One, two, three. Pistis. That's what it is. It means faith. Now, how do I apply this in my life? It means what Jude is getting at here, there's a time to fight for truth. There's a time to stand up against uh, error. Uh, there's a time for aggressive protection of the truth of the Lord God Almighty. If you happen to enjoy the musical Hamilton, you know that in Hamilton, there is a duel that winds up being the closing scene. But there are three duels in the musical Hamilton, and they talk about all the different steps that, that takes place. Now, for those of us who don't live back in the 1700s and such, we go, duels, what a ridiculous, what, how, how ridiculous is that? You have besmirched my honor. I'll meet you on the dueling fields at dawn. Pistols shall be drawn. You know, that kind of thing. We look at that. They're nuts. Now, most of the time, and this is what's somewhat ironic about the musical Hamilton that it points out, is that they would go through all the motions and posturing, but someone did feel that honor was besmirched and they needed to confront the dishonor dynamic. They, they would most of the time not even shoot, or shoot their pistols in the air. They would go through the motions to just try to rectify the situation that one another would be heard in regards to honor. So hear me on this. Dueling is ridiculous. However, child of God, there is a sense that feeling the dishonor of God should rock you to the core and depths of your bones that you would, with all graciousness and wisdom,
be able to say, the honor of God has been dis- besmirched. We need to go meet on the dueling grounds. There's no pistols in this. But there is love and wisdom that you will express sometimes in a wonderful ballad or with raucous joy, never to run over the other person, but in such a way as to contend for the faith. So here's what we've got. We've got these tension points of knowing your faith. There's a lot of things that you can write down. I I love it if you write down at least these opening three. And when we talk about tension points, what we mean is this. I'm going to hold this truth, and I'm going to hold this truth. And they seem to be opposite things, but the way that God really wants us to get a hold of it is we hold both of these things together at the same time. So tension points are incredibly, incredibly important that we hang on to these at the same time. So the one is this, that when it comes to Faith matters, and knowing your faith, it is relational and it is doctrinal. It is what the Word of God says, that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that I've put my faith in Him, and and that's referenced again and again and again through the book of Romans and all through Scripture. It it also uh, tells us this, that that is a relationship we have, but it is a doctrine, or it is creedal. It is a statement. It is an experiential, and it is also creedal, relational and doctrinal. Faith is also this. There's nuances of it. It's being certain of what I hope for and I do not see which is what it says in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It means uh, that if I have faith just as small as a mustard seed and do not doubt, I can say to this mountain, be moved, and it will be moved to the heart of the sea. It's that, that, te- that step of faith, that, that Jesus, if you bid me come walk on the water, I'm gonna take that step of faith towards you. And, and, and there's that connotation that that is implied as well as it is a spiritual gift. It's listed amongst the spiritual gifts. So it is this tension point to say it's about your relationship with God, but it also matters what you're basing that relationship upon. Why is the book of Jude so stinking important. It's incredibly brief. It's only one chapter. It's 29, 25 verses, but it communicates this urgency. The few words means we're not wasting any time dancing around things. We're getting right into this. So the second tension point we note, it's urgent and it's important. The most important matters that we need to deal with are urgent matters. You know, those are things you need to deal with now. But important matters, you've heard this, are things that aren't urgent, but they are really, really important to put our time towards. But we need to stick steady with that. But when, when something hits urgent and important, it's of huge weight. Th- these are these kind of things, your, your relational and doctrinal approach to who God is. So Jude begins to set doctrinal boundaries. He was seeing people and practices even amongst those who are within the church that he said, they're just rejecting the authority of God and they're walking about trying to totally please themselves. Now, one of the other dynamics of the sets of three that Jude does, he notes three sets of Old Testament stories. I mean, bam, 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 really quick hitter ones. So, We'll, we'll honor what he does. And one of them, he notes the rebellion that took place in the wilderness. This is after the people of God left Egypt in their captivity there. Now they're wandering in the wilderness, and all they could do was complain that they didn't have things to drink or things to eat, which, which seems like that does make sense. I think I would have been numbered into that crowd. But what he was saying is they're forgetting that the grace of God, that, that if God would have got you out of that, just be expecting that God's going to meet you in this moment as well. Uh, the story of Cain is referenced, that Cain enabled the sons of Adam and Eve that Cain looked with jealousy upon Abel's sacrifice and that eventually Cain had these murderous thoughts and God spoke to Cain and said sin is crouching at your door you must master it and Cain was very dismissive of God's approach and he said "Ah," and he went and he goes off in the field and he kills Abel 
And then God comes back and says, where's your brother? My, my brother's keeper. And God says, your brother's blood cries out to me in the field. That, that people can be incredibly dismissive of the authority of God, and they just do whatever they want to do with their lives. He notes Sodom and Gomorrah. That was the place where Abraham's nephew Lot went, and he pitched his tent that way, a very, very wicked, wicked communities, and eventually they meet their destruction. If you are, a, if you are one of them, or even if you are around them, there are natural consequences to rejecting the authority of God in our lives. And, and so it's incredibly urgent and important, the things that Jude would have us know. And it goes on to explain, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, those are those things we're noting, he references those, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. We'll dig a little more into that. Third tension point would be this. Please know that when it comes to that your faith matters, that you will have a strong measure of certainty. That I know, that I know, that I know, that I know this. And I want you to know that you may well have some doubt. You can't get to true faith without working through your doubts. If, you, if, you, if you've never wrestled through, well, I wonder if the Bible's really real. If you've never, did Jesus really rise from the dead? If you've never wrestled with those things, it's okay to think about those things and wonder about them, but you can trust God to take you through. You can have certainty and you can have doubt together in the same moment, uh, but God will bring you through. All right, now this is something Pastor Jim does about every three years. And I'm going to draw a little illustration here, and maybe you've got room for that in your notes, but I need your help with this. I need for you to think of your favorite ice cream. All right? Probably not hard. Just going to pick one of your favorite ice creams. On the count of three, you will say your favorite ice cream. Are you ready? One, two, three. Ice cream. Woo! All right. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of disagreement on our favorite ice cream, is there not? And there's a lot of really good ice creams out there. I grew up in a town that the ice cream shop in town when I was a boy was Baskin-Robbins, the 31 flavors. Baskin-Robbins did not care what kind of ice cream you walked out with as long as you walked out with ice cream. I do not know what the basic ingredients of ice cream are. They might be like milk and sugar, a little bit of salt, throw in some love, you know. Uh, don't, don't put in hairspray. Don't put in other things, you know. Don't, there are certain things you don't put in or it messes up, you know, the basics of what ice cream is. And then all the things you were mentioning, it's either mint or chocolate or strawberries or uh, uh, pistachios or whatever, you know, Mackinac Island fudge is, you know, those kind of things. You start throwing those things in and those add flavoring, but you can have a variety of flavoring that you put into ice cream. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to talk to you about what the basic ingredients that makes a Christian a Christian. What is it that Jude, what is it, what is it that, that the people of God, we need to contend for our faith in regards to? And know this, um, that Baskin-Robbins, the ice cream shop, again, you walk out with a mint chocolate chip, and you walk out with butter pecan, and you, you, you do tend to go, some, some of you will go, I don't like the mint. Or how can you be so bland and just pick vanilla? You know, that. And, you, and you, start to, you start to have really deep opinions on your ice cream flavors. You've done that. 
We'll, we'll imagine how we bring that into the life of the church when we talk about the different flavoring that we have with our uh, doctrinal experiences and nuances. Now, God the Father is the creator. Ingredient. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the Savior of the world. Died, rose again. The Holy Spirit that has been sent by God, this is Trinitarian thought, gives new spiritual life. The Bible is the very authoritative word of God in our life. It's what makes a believer a believer. It's what makes a believer of a believer. And you're gonna go, hey, 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 there's some other cool stuff too, isn't there? Yes, there is some other cool stuff. And, and those things are our essence of flavoring that we might have. Meaning, um, how would you define spiritual gifts and how many spiritual gifts are there? You know, there's, there's different thoughts and views on, on communion and when should people be baptized? Can we baptize babies and children? Do we, what a, how do you define what it means to be part of the elect? What would be, and then even then you can be in the same church family and go, what is your doctrine on the end times? And uh, are, yeah, what about the tribulation? Who, who is it that could be licensed to, to serve in, in, in the role and, and, and lead a church and lead ministry? Um, blah, 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 let's go. And you know, people don't even pick churches over doctrine. They start, well, do I have any friends that go there? Do I like the music? Was there something for the children? All that stuff around, it's flavoring. Here's what Jude was getting at. Jude was saying people are taking Jesus out of the mix right here. He goes, don't be messing with that. A whole bunch of what we find in the New Testament writings, the correction that's being brought the issue of circumcision, the issue of foods that are eaten. People are trying to take these things here and put them in there. And the Bible constantly says, let's, let's take those things out of there. And, and it even means something like this. When we talk about God the Father being the creator, young earth, six-day creation, old earth, millions of years creation. Here's the deal. On that and these others, really, really smart people who love God deeply have landed in different places on those things. They've landed in different places on, 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 on how baptism is a form and communion and, and how long it took for creation to take place. Really smart people who love God deeply fall in different places on these things and they will continue to fall in different places. We are never in conflict with other brothers and sisters in Christ and other churches and other denominational flavorings. I have to admit, I, I love going into a Lutheran or a Catholic worship experience about twice a year. But, but for that liturgical, structured, robes and incense kind of flavoring, it's like Grecian formula for me. A little dabble, do you? And then I'm ready for, for a little less formality and, uh, and uh, bring out some tech and uh, let's, let's sing some new songs. And, but that's just flavoring. It's just flavoring. We, we do not do battle 
against other brothers and sisters in Christ. We battle the very devil of hell. We battle anything that would keep people from the heart of God. And so if we ever say that our struggle is against the church down the road, we are full of such small-mindedness. It is not even funny. We have a big, huge mission to help the Lord as best we can to be tools and instruments in his hand of rescuing people from a dark dominion. And so we contend for the faith. Um, let, let me walk down, and as best we can, in a quick hitter kind of fashion, here are some common objections to faith. And we're not going to dig deep in these. We're going to name a few, kind of get started, and know that these are very normative, but there's some more nuance that we won't unpackage. The first is this. There can't just be any one true religion. Uh, all religions are the same. There's just different paths that go to the same place. Try, yeah. No, uh, you can get lost real easy on paths. You can get lost real easy on roadways. Just, just kind of go, go wherever it is you want to go, and you'll wind up in, in different places until somebody makes an adjustment to their course. When we say that there's no one truth in regards to there's no one, you can pick different ice cream flavors. Yeah, it's flavoring. But when you say there is no one absolute truth out there, that is an absolute truth statement. In fact, it is very arrogant and manipulative to go about it that way, to say that the only truth that you can hold to is that there is no truth. Uh, here's what we do is we allow others to believe what they want to believe because we love them and because God loves them and you can believe what it is that you want to believe. But when there is a time that I have to pray for you and to love you and to share the realities and the truths, I believe the very Holy Spirit of God is going to pursue the heart of people who are far and are distant for God. And if they are seeking truth, that, that they will be found by God. And we can trust God to do that. A second objection that often hits is how could a good God allow suffering? And there can be a series of teachings on this. Evil and suffering are not evidenced against God. In fact, if we get to the end game on that, our God is the God who suffers. And even in our great stories, note the Marvel franchise, that the heroes in our stories often suffer deeply and will even give their lives and sacrifice themselves for others. Where do we get that into the fabric of our bones that that's what heroes do? Because it's part of the fabric of how this universe and this world that our God put it together that our God enters into our suffering, and suffering is a very real part of how life is done. Third objection is this. It's kind of similar. How can a loving God send people to hell? It, we have a God of love, and God, God wants you to freely love, and God wants to pursue your heart. But if a person lives their life with, I don't want to have anything to do with God, do you think that at the end of their days, out of love for that person, that God would go, I'm going to drag you into my presence into heaven if you didn't. God's going to go, if you don't want to have anything to do with me, then thy will be done. And you do not want to live your life separated from the beautiful glory of who God is. Nor do you want that for anybody that you care about. But, but God will allow people to go the way that they go out of his love for them and what they will so desire to choose. Fourth, science has disproved Christianity. And I might go, what? I, uh, how, so, how is, science is real? 
Hooray for science and scientists. I don't understand all there is about. I, get, I got a C in chemistry and biology. I don't under, I, I need scientists in my life. But science will tell us about the physical world. And God, God created the physical world, but God is spirit and God is truth. Um, the Bible is not a science book. Now, there are many times that the Bible, you know, touches on some scientific truths, but the Bible was never intended to be a science book, and science does not tell us how we find God. In fact, there's a lot of great, great scientists that see the handprints of God all over creation. Now, in a transition statement, as we kind of move from the objections to these are some things we should really know about our faith, when, when it comes to the Bible, uh, we, we should know this— that the New Testament, there are 24,000 ancient manuscripts that have been found. Not, not complete copies, but, but sections of the New Testament from way back. I mean, we got copies that are 25, 50, 100, 200 years from the originals, 24,000. Okay, second place is Homer's Iliad with 643. That's what second place to the New Testament. And the first copy we have of Homer's Iliad is 500 years after the original writing. There is no writing, there is no ancient writing that is clarified and quantified and affirmed as much as the biblical New Testament is. In fact, even if we didn't have any of those 24,000 manuscripts, we have the writings of the early church fathers, and they quote all but 11 verses out of the New Testament. We know that what we get in regards, because we're, we're so wary right now of fake information that it comes into our midst, and it's fine, we should be, but know that when it comes to the Bible, the Bible is not fake information that has been concocted and put together at a much later date. Here's some things about knowing our faith, some four dynamics. One is this, there's grand evidence for God. So if you're in the thinky kind of camp, you might want to explore the cosmological, the teleological, the ontological arguments, the argument out of aesthetics. But basically, they mean this. It's like uh, playing a little game with a uh, smarty pants elementary kid. And they go, well, where did that come from? And you answered, where did that come from? And where did that come from? Eventually, you play that little game, and you get back to God, God did it. You know, there has to be this unmoved mover. There has to be this first cause that put things into motion. The teleological argument would say that there is such order, the intricacies of the human body, the amazing ways in which planet Earth rotates around the sun in this solar system so life can exist. Everything is so precious and so precarious and so finely tuned. There has to be a, a mind of great order behind it. Um, and, and out of aesthetics, it's like things are beautiful. So this incredibly wise mind is so powerful to create and loves to do it with beauty and uh, variety. Knowing your faith, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. This, this really gets to the heart of things. Because when you come to this point, you can't pull things out of it. You can't put the Book of Mormon in here either. You can't pull things in and put things out. Uh, it, it is crucial when it comes to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And what, what continues to happen to this day and what was happening in Jude's time was people wanted to take Jesus out of the mix there. 
insert some other kind of common tradition of the day. Well, did Jesus even exist? And yes, Jesus existed. There's all kinds of other sources that note the existence of Jesus Christ outside of the scriptures. Well, maybe the disciples stole the body because it seems like that would be the kind of thing that would take place. And if you read up about who the disciples were and what they were all about, they weren't basically going to take on the Roman Green Beret and steal Jesus. They were afraid to even have conversation with servants that were outside the courtyard of Pilate. Uh, maybe Jesus didn't die, just kind of swooned away and came back again. I don't know, just that's goofy stuff. Uh, probably one of the greatest evidences are the changed lives of the disciples. If anybody knew it was a hoax, those original disciples and followers knew it was a hoax. They would wind up dying martyrs' deaths. Give them some time, give them some years or some decades, but they would die because of their faith. And if they were dying for that, they knew it was a lie. They had nothing to gain from that at all. And why would you do that? You look at their lives and how they live them. It really takes more faith to believe in something other than the resurrection of Jesus. It takes a lot of faith to not do that. I love having the conversation that wraps around a, a, a quote that C.S. Lewis talks about. And a lot of times I've done this when I'm sitting having coffee with someone. And it goes something like this. I think we've got a napkin that you can see that it's written on. So Jesus either was who he said he was or he was not who he said he was. If he was not who he said he was, he either knew it or he didn't know it. If he didn't know it, he's crazy saying I'm the son of God. He's a lunatic if he did know it and telling people to put their faith and trust in him. He's very evil. He's a liar. Or he was who he said he was. He is the Son of God. He did rise from the dead, and he is Lord of all. He's either Lord, lunatic, or liar. And what we don't see up there is, he's a good man. No. Anybody who did the sort of things and said the sort of things that Jesus said would either be your Lord, you dismiss him as a, uh, a liar, or you, you're like the devil of hell yourself. You are, you are a liar, and, but there's no room for that good man concept. And we need to settle in and, and make our decision on that. Fourth concept of knowing your faith is it's a divine dance. And so as we talk about a divine dance, I'm going to ask, as you hear this closing comment, do you mind just rising to your feet and preparing to go into a time where we, we, we pray? And, and you can just kind of shuffle your feet around together to know this, that if there is no God, your life really has no meaning and purpose. Everything's just a random chance. But you friend, were created with a great mind, and you were created by the creator who loves beauty. In fact, you can just shout, you not shout, just say it right now. I am loved by God. Can you say that? I am loved by God. And you are. You were created with purpose and with depth of meaning. God loves you infinitely so. And in this moment, this divine dance, you were meant to enter into the story of God, and God was meant to enter into you. Don't miss that. For, for some of you, this, this, yes, it's a creedal peace, but it's a relationship. And you need to affirm the creedal dynamic in your life, but you also need to reaffirm the relationship and say, God, you love me, and I love you. Thank you. Continue to be large in my life. And for some here today and connected in this moment, what you want to do is say, God, you be God. Forgive me. I want to follow you. And there's this divine dance that takes place as God says, take my hand. You're created with beauty and wonder. And I love you so marvelously. And I don't only want to do this side of life with you, but I want to do all of eternity with you. 
and there's a resurrected body for you and there's wonderful things for me to continue to convey, let's pray right now. And as we pray, do it as one who is so deeply loved by the one who sought you and bought you and who made everything there is. God, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you that you are here right now. Lord, for those of us, we just affirm that our faith matters. Help us to know what we believe. Help that to shape who we are by the power of your spirit. Lord, for those in this moment right now who are saying, forgive me, I wanna follow you. Lord, we celebrate the fact that you are welcoming them into the kingdom of God as children of God. We don't wanna miss what you have for us. We tell you that we love you and we know that you first loved us in your mighty name, amen.